Well, Ben has already brilliantly done the introduction to my sermon. We heard last week the words of the Lord Jesus. Therefore, because go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, if you were here last week, let me ask you a simple question. I'm just wondering what, what you did with what God said to you over the last seven days. What have, you, what have you done since you heard that? Have you prayed a bit more for people who, who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ? Maybe you've gone out to, to try and tell a couple more people about him? What do we do in the light of the word of God when we hear it? As Ben says, do we think it's enough to sit there and ponder it? Oh, it's a, a fascinating talk. I understood that bit of Matthew in a new way this week. Or do we think that actually when God speaks to us, we should respond? And if, if you're not yet a Christian here this morning, I guess in one way what I'm going to say is in some ways a, going to be a big apology to you. Because we have up on the walls, nothing beats knowing Jesus. And therefore our lives and our lips should constantly testify to the fact nothing beats knowing Jesus. But I guess sometimes, as you've got to know us, you haven't heard much about him from our lips for quite a long time. And as you've looked at our lives, you've, you've wondered what it was exactly Jesus told us to do. You see, as, as we look at the, the prophet Jonah, here is a man commissioned by God, just as we've been commissioned by God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to just look at this, this story together, and we're going to see what it has to teach us, because Jonah is our spiritual ancestor. His God is our God. And therefore, what we see him do is just a little bit of a reflection sometimes of what, what we're like. I mean, look at verse 1 with me. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Uh, now, when the word of God comes to someone, uh, that means they're one of God's prophets and they're to go and tell some other people. But we don't really know much about Jonah. Uh, we can read about him in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. He's, he's there in the 8th century. He's preaching to King Jeroboam, king of Israel. Let me read you what we read. King Jeroboam did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant, Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. The Lord had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering. There was no one to help them. And since the Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash. You see, despite God's people being spiritually half-hearted and disobedient, despite actually them going the wrong way, God in his mercy, simply because of who he is, restores the boundaries of their land. They might be ignoring him, but he's not ignoring them. And into the midst of, of their comfortable life, it, it comes the prophet Jonah. He says, look, God's given you all this blessing. And then... Jonah chapter 1 verse 1, he gets another word from the Lord, a message he's to pass on. And that's where the problem starts. Because verse 2 tells us what the word is. 
Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. I mean, Nineveh was great, all right, but it was great for all the wrong reasons. It was the greatest city of the Assyrian Empire, the city of their brutal kings, who loved nothing better than sending their armies into the surrounding nations to brutalize them, to abuse them, to torture them, to humiliate them. Nineveh actually today is pretty close to the modern city of Mosul in Syria. And the Assyrians were as close to ISIL, to the so-called Islamic State, as you'd find in their day. And no wonder their wickedness has come up before the Lord. Their wickedness has come up before everyone else. No wonder Jonah is to preach against it. The Israelite nation, they had to pay tribute to the Assyrians. They're under the Assyrians' thumb. And regularly the Lord tells his people how he's going to bring justice and judgment upon their evil enemies. But this is different. You see, usually the prophets, they get to condemn the the evil nations from a distance. But Jonah's told to go to Nineveh, to preach to them. And that's the problem. Because when God sends his word to someone, it's always to give them the opportunity to repent, to turn to him to ask for forgiveness. And Jonah clearly doesn't think the Assyrians should be getting that opportunity. Now now it's worth, by the way, bearing in mind, if you're not yet a Christian, it's fantastic you're here this morning. And every time you hear God's word, it's, it's like an invitation from him, an opportunity to come back to him, to turn to him, to seek him in forgiveness. So, so Jonah gets this word, go to Nineveh. And literally, arise and go to Nineveh, Jonah. And verse 3 literally says, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And just in case we don't get Jonah's intentions, after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Jonah's told to go northeast. He goes southwest. Jonah's told to go overland. He sets out to sea. And whenever Tarshish is mentioned in the Bible, it's mentioned as being somewhere a very long way away. It's probably in southern Spain. Jonah books a ticket to the opposite side of the world. Now, now I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever tried to run away from the sovereign God. Uh, the, uh, The evening I first heard a talk where I understood God's love to me in the Lord Jesus... I desperately didn't want to become a Christian because I could see my life would have to change. That obedience stuff, I wasn't, I wasn't planning on signing up for that. The problem was, as much as I tried to avoid anyone who faintly looked like a Christian, the next day all I did was bump into Christians. And all they did was ask me what I thought about the talk. And because I'm shallow, someone offered me a curry and I went to the, the same talk the following night. It's quite hard to run away from the sovereign God. But, but God's got a, a far more violent technique with Jonah. Uh, the Lord's method of stopping Jonah is, is literally he throws down a storm. It's so violent that the sailors think the ship is going down. Everyone's on deck praying to their God whilst they chuck the value car, valuable cargo overboard, not worried about losing money, just worried about losing their lives. But whilst they're doing anything they can to save themselves, Jonah's below deck sleeping like a baby. Now, now some some writers say, oh, that's because he's exhausted. He's a bit stressed out because he's running away from God. I don't know about you, but when I'm tired and stressed, sleep is the one thing I cannot do. I'm like, during the night. In fact, in the Bible, 
it's flagged up again and again, the people who sleep well are the people who are not worried, who are not anxious, who basically don't care. Jonah's having a lovely little kip. He's not bothered at all about what's going on upstairs. No no wonder the captain comes down in verse 6 and says, how can you sleep? It's not, wow, I'm amazed you can sleep with a boat pitching like this. It's, how on earth can you sleep? Don't you care what's going on? Jonah doesn't even reply. He doesn't call on the Lord, that the whole boat can go to the bottom as long as he cares. And so verse 7, then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. And then what does God do? God points the finger firmly at Jonah. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And so the sailors say, tell us, literally tell us you who is responsible for making all this trouble. You, what's your work? In other, literally, what's your mission? We know what Jonah's mission is. Jonah's mission is go to Nineveh. What's your mission, they say? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? They don't ask him, who's your God? Because everyone's got a God. Uh, you grew up worshipping something. It, it was defined by who you were and, and the place you grew up in. It's actually the same today. Everyone's got a God today. Uh, you might never go to church. This might be your first time in church this morning. But we all have a God. We all have a view of the world or an idea that we're, we're putting our, our security in and our hope in and our joy in and we're drawing our, our love from. It might be the quality of our relationships. It, it might be our material possessions. It might be the ability of humanity to, to better the planet. But, but we're all worshipping something. And the thing is that the God Jonah's worshipping, as far as the sailors can work out, he appears to be running the whole show. And so they say, what's going on? Look at verse 9. He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Literally he says, I fear the Lord. But he doesn't. We know he doesn't. Because he's running away from God. It's actually the sailors who are the ones who are afraid they see the world as it really is. That they, look, at, look at verse 10. They, they see God's, Jonah's God for who he really is. This, this terrified them, they said. What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. They're not asking what he's done. They actually know what he's done. This, this is more like what you, what you say when you, you go upstairs to your kid's bedroom and you've spent hours laying that intricate wallpaper in their bedroom, and there they are, you, you walk in the door, and suddenly they're, and they're holding a permanent marker, and, uh, and on the wall is, is a beautiful piece of four-year-old artwork, and you go, what have you done? That's what, what they're saying. What have you done running away from the Lord, who is the God of, of the sea and the dry land? There's there's still no answer from Jonah. He knows. They know. We know. The Lord knows. And then verse 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Sounds sort of so magnanimous, doesn't it? So big of him. 
I, I, I've always thought it was a sort of sacrificial move from Jonah. Finally, Jonah cares. But, but then it struck me this week. Why, why doesn't he just jump in? I mean, he knows it's his fault. The ship's going down. The storm's getting worse. This is only going to end badly for everyone. Why doesn't he jump? Well, because in the end, he, he's still just bothered about himself. Consumed with self-pity. He's as grumpy as anything. And when we get to chapter 4, we're going to see, basically, he's grumpy with God. This, this isn't really Jonah offering to lay down his life for the ship in some act of heroic sacrifice. You know, if that was the case, I think he'd have taken a running dive off the side. This is just mopey old Jonah who sort of wishes I was dead. I can imagine his tone. Well, I suppose you could throw me into the water because it's all my fault. But, but look at what the sailors do do. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. These, these pagans are so compassionate towards the rebellious prophet, they risk their own lives to try and save his. But when the Lord decides you're going for a swim... You're going for a swim. Verse 14. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Did you see what's happening all the way through this chapter? It's the pagans who pray. It's the pagans who use the the covenant name of God. That's why it's in capitals. The Lord. It's God's personal name for his people. His name that speaks of his promises, of his steadfast love. It's the pagans who've got a conscience about letting people die. It's the pagans who recognize they have to give an account before God for their actions. It's the pagans who ask for mercy. It's the pagans who recognize the Lord does as he pleases. And it's the pagans who do everything that the prophet should have been doing. Then they throw him in. And the raging sea becomes calm, instantly. Not, not just a sort of storm dying down, but the sovereign God miraculously flattens the waters just like that. See, Jonah said that he feared the Lord, but, but everything about his actions basically said, I'm not really that bothered about God, I'm much more bothered about myself. Whereas, look at verse 16. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. That They give what they have to the Lord in worship and they vow. It's not like a desperate prayer from from people in a dire situation. No, no, the crisis is over, isn't it? That the sea's calm. What they're doing is they're pledging their loyalty to the Lord. They're saying, I commit my future to you, God. To love and obey you from, from this day forward, for better, for worse. I'm with you, Lord. It, it's such a, a stark contrast to the man of God. But, but you know what? God's, God's grace is bigger than the grumpiness of his prophet. And so verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. It's easy to judge Jonah, isn't it? To sit here and think, oh, he's so self-centered. He's he's so set on determining his own course through life. Rather than taking God 
God's life-giving word to a pagan nation. I found myself judging Jonah this week. So I've, I've prepared, I thought, what a total muppet. <laughs> and then, then I remembered what I preached last week. <laughs> Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. It's actually a better thing than Jonah gets, isn't it? Go to the nation's death. And I'm going to be with you. I preached that last week. Were you here? You see, first and foremost, I think Jonah's a book of the Bible that reminds us, as God's people, how much more gracious our God is than we are. I mean, this is a chapter that shows us really how the world can be far more loving than the church. Here's here's just a few lessons as we finish. Here's the first thing. The church can ignore its mission. You see, we're a one-trick pony. We're a one-song band. We're a one-product company. We're a people with a single mission. Go to the nations to make disciples. That's what we've got to do. That's, That's the leaving command of the Lord Jesus. That's what he tells us to do. And let's face it. We've we've actually never had it materially so good as Christians in the West. God's blessed us extraordinarily in a way our forefathers couldn't have dreamt of. And here in the UK, we have an extraordinary level of peace, a freedom to preach the gospel. We're far better off than Israel even, who'd been blessed by the Lord. But sometimes as Christians, we just sound a bit more fed up with the world around us than compassionate towards it. Well, when we do speak up, it's, it's because we spend more time sounding off about how terrible our culture is. How evil, how, how much worse it is than it used to be, and how we need to protest, how the world out there is a shocking place. And I'm not saying it isn't, okay? I'm not saying it isn't. But the Bible says this in John 3.17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, first and foremost, Jesus is in the saving, not condemning business. And I guess that's why at the end of his life he gives a commission like the commission to Jonah. Go and make disciples of all nations. All peoples without exception, without prejudice, whether we like them or not, whether we think they're savable or not, whether we find them easy or not, however evil we think they are, because in the end we're not their judge. The Lord is. And if Jonah's disobedience shocks us, so should ours. Or at least our apathy in the plight of a world around us who desperately need Jesus. Because here's, here's the second thing, I think. The lesson, the world has more compassion than the church. That's the sailors, isn't it? They're even willing to risk their lives for Jonah in one final push. Jonah knows why they're all going to die. He has the power to do something. But his heart is turned inwards. He's actually passionate about himself, not compassionate towards others. You know, he, he knows the Lord God of heaven and earth. It's just he, he'd rather ignore the issue. He's wrapped up in himself. Well, we're going to see why when we get to chapter 4. I think it's a, it's a criticism that could be clearly leveled at people like me. You know, I'm crystal clear on what the Bible teaches. I absolutely know that our world is full of pain and suffering because of the sinful nature of the human heart. 
I could take you to Romans 1 and show you how God's righteous anger is being revealed in a cursed creation because people have turned away from him and therefore desperately need Jesus. But I have to say to you, a lot of time I'm more caught up with myself. My own little self-righteous world where, where I think about how I've been treated. Where I think about what other people think of me. Maybe even what you're thinking of me this morning. How I feel even maybe about how God has treated me. Now if you ask me, I'd tell you, oh yeah, people desperately need to, to hear of Jesus. But even if you looked at my life, I'm not, I'm not sure you'd always guess that. And what's true of me as your pastor will always be a danger of becoming true of you as a church. See, it can even be the case, thirdly, that the world can see the church's job better than the church does. You see, the captain literally says, rise and call on your God. And, And he speaks more than he knows. Because he's telling the disobedient prophet, the one who fears the Lord of the sea and the dry land, to do the most effective thing possible to bring about salvation for the people. Call on the Lord. That's Jonah's job. That's the church's job. To call on the Lord that we might be the agent of salvation for the people around us. Well, we'll see. Jonah, he turns up to the prayer meeting in chapter 2 to save his own skin. He's praying for physical health as the water fills his own lungs. But he's not very keen on praying for anyone else. You know, I've actually been ashamed sometimes by the way non-Christians tell me, maybe it's because I'm a pastor, they're praying. I remember a mum at uh, at school quite recently telling me how she was praying because of a a desperate tragedy on the global scene. And I thought, she doesn't even know who she's praying to. And I do. She, She doesn't know the real issues, but I do. And yet she's the one praying It's not just that the sailors put Jonah to to shame in the way they pray. They also show up his his total lack of willingness to tell them what what he knows to be true about God. And the sailors, they have to cast lots. They have to interview him about his faith. He, He won't tell them what his mission is. And finally, at the third attempt, after a serious grilling, he says, oh yeah, I worship the Lord. I was chatting to a guy, we were reading the Bible this week, reading this passage, and he said it's a bit like your mates sort of grilling you about what you believe, and under the pressure, you know, of the third attempt, you finally break and admit, okay, okay, I'm a Christian. I used a, a quote from the uh, Times columnist, Matthew Paris, not a Christian at all, he used to be a Tory MP, not a Christian. Um, I used it in the evening service a few weeks ago, it's from his newspaper column. Um, And I'm going to use it now again without apology because it's such a telling quote. Listen to what he said. He he summarized what Christians believe, the good news about Jesus, pretty accurately in his column. And then he wrote this. If I believed that, or even a tenth of that, how could I care which version of the prayer book was used? In our case, we could say, which songs we sing. I would drop my job, sell my house, throw away my possessions, leave my acquaintances, and set out into the world with a burning desire to know more. And when I found out more, to act upon it and tell others. Far from being puzzled that the Mormons and Adventists should knock at my door, I am unable to understand how anyone who believes what is written in the Bible 
could choose to spend his waking hours in any other endeavor. Sometimes the world sees the church's job better than the church does. And here's the last thing. God will save his people despite the church. Because that's what he does. He is the compassionate and merciful Lord. So even as Jonah sets off with determination to not take God's word to a pagan city, the result is that a whole boatload of pagan sailors become believers in the Lord. The Lord will save his people despite his disciples. And that shouldn't encourage us. That should shame us. But because you see, there is a, there's another boat, isn't there, in the Bible in the midst of a storm? Another group of, of terrified sailors. But these sailors claim to be followers of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they were fishermen. So it was clearly a, a rough night because they think they're going to die. And they cry out to Jesus as he lies on, on a cushion, sleeping like a baby. And they say, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet! Be still! Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? No belief? No trust? It's the same word. You see, in the end, the the God of Jonah is so compassionate that he comes in the person of his son. He comes up close. And he demonstrates that, that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, the sea and the dry ground. And he says to followers like us, who are fearful, who don't trust him, who won't open our mouths, who don't turn up to pray for the, the world and, and the need of the gospel week by week, he says to us, why are you so afraid? Did you still not trust me? Do you not believe Do you have no faith? And then, and then he goes through life deliberately to a cross where he dies for our lack of faith and our lack of trust and our disobedience. Not just our outward rebellion, you know, the naughty things we know we shouldn't do, but the inward selfishness of our hearts. The the disobedience we don't even recognize when we will not speak to people about him when we will not call to him in prayer as he asks us to he dies even for that self-righteous inward lack of compassion that we might be loved and forgiven and changed forever all that you failed to do all that I failed to do Christ has died for And therefore, it's as we come to the foot of the cross and we see what frail and weak servants we are and we marvel once again that there's a God who would love us like that and choose to save the world through us. There we find a love that changes our hearts by the power of the Spirit, a love that might just put A few more prayer meetings into our diaries, maybe next Tuesday. A love that might just open our closed lips to say how great Jesus is to the people around us we claim to love who don't know him.
a love that might make our self-centered hearts just a bit more compassionate. So when we hear, go, go to the nations, tell them I love them. Tell them they're wicked, yes, but tell them I love them. We go. We go.